0: Welcome to the Retro Photo Film Podcast, where we break down 50 years of film and digital photography with a true renaissance man. Grab your favorite darkroom snack. It's time to talk photography with your host, Al Tallin. Hi, this is Al. Welcome to my winter photograph podcast. I'm going to talk about a photograph that I took in 1973 with my Hasselblad after a snowstorm that uh, kind of snowed all night long and into the morning. And when we got up, it really was, it's an, when you've seen one of those winter wonderlands, it's awesome because the snow sticks to everything. Now, if there is sunshine in the forecast, then that snow melts really fast. These were pretty cold days and it was in January and so there was no sun and no snow was melting very fast at all. I called up a friend and his name was Duane and I asked Duane, I said, do you want to go down and photograph Liberty Park? It'd be really cool. I was snowed in, but uh, he got out. The main roads were open, but all the streets and the side streets were all pretty much closed. So I met him on a main street that was uh, about a block away from my house, and uh, we drove down to this huge big park in the middle of Salt Lake City called Liberty Park. No one was there. It was really bitter cold, so we had to park the car outside the park basically, hike in, and we were going into areas where Liberty Park, as you can see, is filled with lots and lots and lots of trees. Underneath that, it's just all lawn, so it's beautiful in the summertime and in the wintertime. Since so there was no one out there, we had no tracks. Nobody's footprints, and normally in a park, yes, you'd have footprints everywhere—dog footprints, everybody's footprints—because they want to go out and play in the snow and be there. But being it was so cold, and it was earlier in the morning; it was probably about eight thirty in the morning, so even more cold. Why would you go out at eight thirty in the morning? Kind of, I wanted to make sure that we beat the traffic, <laughs> which we realized. Nobody was dumb enough to go out there and photograph trees in the snow that early in the morning at Liberty Park and nobody really cared so we were the only ones in the park walking around and photographing. But as you can see from looking at the photograph that it was lovely, it was beautiful and we could not take pictures fast enough. Now, there is a trick to taking pictures on film. I know that when we have our digital cameras we can look on the back and go Hmm, I need to take and stop this down as an extra stop because it looks too light. But then we had only two things to think about. There's a trick about photographing in snow and in sand. And that trick is that whenever you photographed white like that, you always stop down one to two stops. And uh, then when you've got it, you would be able to see the details in the snow. And as you look at the picture, you'll see the shadows which, again, they casting shadows, but there's no sun. The shadows are the the depth, and it's kind of a grayish part of the snow, and even the white-white is not white-white. If you wanted white-white, yes, you could put that in there, but snow is not pure white. It has that grayish look to it, and you got to remember that when you're looking at a scale, white is basically kind of like an 18% gray, That's what kind of is there. So when I printed them in the darkroom, this is what I printed for. So you're looking at a print that I did print and then I scanned it later on. If you can see the shadows, you can see the snow as at 18% gray. Now, the other trick that you use, and I still use that today, even when I am shooting digital, is to bracket. Bracketing is where you take and go one stop above and one stop below. For example, if the shot that you're looking at is an f16, then you go one stop up f22, one stop below f11. So that means that you now are taking three pictures of that same shot. Now it's best to do this on a tripod, but you don't have to. I've done many without tripods, but this particular day we actually did haul around our tripods as we trudged through the snow. That way when you get it, it's like, maybe we need it a little bit darker, maybe we need it a little bit lighter. And when you look at those three prints in the darkroom on the negative, you look at it and go, hmm, I like this contrast better, or I like this non-contrast a little bit better. So that's what you print from. And so you have those three negatives. So what happens when you're shooting a 12-exposure roll with a Hasselblad camera, therefore, you only got four different shots off of the 12 exposure roll because there's three of each one so it used up a lot more film but trust me it saves your bacon in a long run and again i still do this and in the hd mode that you want to do some of the hd things in digital you can bracket as high as five stops two above and two below and it does that for you and then you can take those and sandwich them all together you have to do this on a tripod but you can sandwich them all together and get these beautiful ranges that you have now that's something you get with digital but this was film and it's my true love when you look at this photograph and you see the beauty of the blacks the grays and the whites that are there it is just magnificent at this particular time it was the first time i had shot snow with my Hasselblad camera I was so excited to be able to do this. Uh, I had purchased the camera the fall before. Well, I purchased, you know, it's like I bought <laughs> the camera then. And to tell you the truth, now you, those of you who know what Hasselblad cost, my Hasselblad cost me $600. I had put it on time payments because it was a lot to pay for a camera at that time. So I was making payments on my cameras. Crazy part was that I did not have a darkroom. I could go down to my mentor, a man by the name of Borg Anderson, and I could use his darkroom and studio when I wanted to. He was my instructor at the University of Utah. He was a very generous instructor, very generous man, and he let uh, some of the students come down and use his darkroom to process and print our photographs. While I wanted to do this at my own home, I had found an old 1945 enlarger with a little bell top on, which is really kind of cool. Still have that enlarger to this day. I didn't have the developing tanks for the film. I didn't have the trays to develop the papers in. I didn't have the chemicals. I didn't have anything for processing film or printing film. So the 1972 Christmas, I asked for all of that materials, those different parts of the darkroom equipment from different members of my family to give to me. Luckily, I got it. So it was in that January, after I shot this shot, I actually set up my darkroom, which was rather small. It was a one-person walk-in kind of closet. It was not very big. I sat on a stool, and I could use the enlarger to my right and take the print, move it over to my left, and across my left side was the trays for everything to be developed, the developer, the stop bath, the fix, and then there was a little tray there full of water, and I put the prints into that, and then once I had a bunch of prints in that, then I would take them out, head into my bathroom, which was not too far away, and put the prints into a big Bat in the tub, and wash them in the tub. When I was developing film, I had to do the exact same thing. I would roll the film onto the reel, put it into the canister, take it, and then I would go out into the bathtub, and I would sit in the bathtub and process my film. You know, because you have to take and drain the the chemical out, the developer out, pour in the stop bath, take the stop bath out, pour in the fixer, then take the fixer pour that out in and put in the wash and then put it in a washer to wash. So I just said, you know, I can't do this in my little tiny room, too much water splashing around. So I would just sit in the bathtub. Crazy enough, it's like when you're sitting in a bathtub and you get this water splashing all over. So there I was, middle of wintertime, putting on a bathing suit, sitting in the bathtub and processing film and washing prints. It was it was hilarious, but It worked really well. Back to photographing winter shots. The most important part about shooting a winter scene is that you are there first before everybody has got their footprints, dog prints, and everything else in the photograph. So that means, like I talked about earlier, you have to get up early and go to these spots where you know where you've seen the scene. And I had already picked out beforehand places in the Liberty Park that I wanted to photograph. So I knew where I was going. I had seen them and I went, oh, this is going to be beautiful with the snow. And so I kind of reconstructed all of that. And that's kind of a a good thing to do is to research out where you want to photograph and then when the good weather, bad weather, rain, snow, whatever it is that you're going to photograph comes, then you can go to that particular spot and photograph it. Make sure that you have your tripod with you because you never know when you're going to have to slow that shutter down and get the shot that you need with a large f-stop like a 22, 32, 16 and have it so that you can use a very slow shutter speed to capture everything. So you never know. So always have your tripod with you. But scout out your locations and you'll find out that you will get better pictures from your scenic spots before you do that. Remember Ansel Adams, the great American photographer, he actually did that a lot. He would go and for hours, days, and sometimes weeks, he would go to the spots that he wanted to photograph. He would scout them out, see when the best time of the light of the day was, and not particularly just snow, but he would look and see what he wanted. And when he wanted to see the shadows fall, The light come in. After scouting all of that, then he even actually placed, I remember reading once where he placed rocks in the place of where his tripod would sit so that he knew that he would get that kind of exact same shots. And so they weren't like little teeny rocks. And they were in wilderness, so not a lot of people were coming around going, oh, these are cool rocks. They're in a diamond shape. Let's take them away. No, they were big rocks that he put down so that he would remember. So it's kind of like pre-visualizing what you want to photograph. And pre-visualization is very, very important in photography. If you can pre-visualize a shot that you have before you get it, you know what you're going to get before you shoot it, you know what you want to do with it afterwards, you know what it's going to look like afterwards. I could tell you before I shot this that I wanted blacks on the trees, I wanted white on the snow, I wanted that, I could see that, so my pre-visualization worked for me really, really well. It's kind of like a fun thing to do because it takes time, but the shot's worth it. Sometimes we're out there, and I, as I put in my Instagram account, there's a lot of times I'm out there and there are gimme shots. I walk up on it and go, wow, this is awesome, and you take it, click, 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 because it's not going to be there the next time you come back. So going out and, and scouting out doesn't work for everything, but it does work for scenics where nothing much is going to change because when you come back, that scene is still there. Photographing with people, they're not going to be there. Photographing with animals, they're not going to be there. But the scenic of the trees and rocks and grass and everything is all going to be there. Now, make sure that when you do that, that you pick the right time of day so that you get exactly what you want in shadows. It all worked for me. It worked for me for years in how I pre-visualized. And when I started teaching at the University of Utah, That was the first thing I taught everybody. Pre-visualize what you're going to shoot, and you will have better shots. Well, it's been fun talking to you today about my winter scene. I love shooting in the winter. You just have to wear warm clothes. Nowadays, there is a lot of companies making really nice warm clothes and boots. You don't have to even freeze at all. The most important part of my winter clothing was the... Fingerless gloves. (laughs) I love those babies because your fingers can still work on your camera and do everything that you need it to do. Well, enjoy your winter shooting and make sure when you go out, you always have lots of snacks with you. You have been listening to the Retro Photo Film Podcast. Follow Al on Instagram at Retro Photo Film to see all his latest photos and learn more about the stories behind the photos.